The Holy Gospel according to Mark. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored the boat. When they got out of the boat, people at once recognized him and rushed about that whole region and began to bring the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you may be seated. I forgot to mention in the announcements that I'm not only Brian Steinweber, but I work in the Office of Seminary Relations at Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary in Berkeley, uh, which you most generously support. So it is really a pleasure to be here. Would you pray with me? O God, you who are the source of all life, all love, all care, all forgiveness, bless us this day in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Out of all the biblical passages that we have heard this morning, I would like to concentrate on the second chapter of the letter to the Ephesians that Terry read, especially verse 14, for Jesus is our peace who has made us both one, meaning Jews and Gentiles, and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. I was surprised to find that the original Greek text actually has an extra word that doesn't show up in our translation. There is mesotoikon, which means dividing wall. And there's also the word phragmas, which means fence. So it can be literally translated, Jesus has destroyed the dividing wall of the fence, the one of hostility. Specifically, it seems that the writer of Ephesians is trying to emphasize that the fence is more, this fence is more than a border between properties. It is more like the barrier that has been erected between the United States and Mexico, or the one that divided the city of Berlin from the early 60s to the late 80s, or even the massive tilt wall construction version of concrete that divides the state of Israel from the occupied territories of Palestine. This kind of wall, this kind of fence, 
seems to be the type of barrier that is intended to keep people apart, that discouraging, discourages traversing back and forth, that stands as a symbol of separateness. That division in early Christian days was between Jews and Gentiles, or former Jews and former Gentiles, between those men, and it's only men, right, who were circumcised according to the law of Moses and those who were not. Both of those kinds were present in the early Christian communities, but there was serious concern about whether or not followers of Jesus should be required to be circumcised in order to be considered legitimate. We read of that controversy receiving some kind of resolution in the 15th chapter of Acts, where we remember in the Council of Jerusalem, they said it would seem good to the Holy Spirit and us that we would both be able to be Christians. But that is, and that is a great story, but it is not my focus for today. What I would like to explore is this dividing wall of the fence of hostility as a description not only of the differences between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, but more broadly of the hostile barriers that show up across human society. There are obvious examples. The demilitarized zone along the 38th parallel in Korea. Has anyone ever seen that area? No man's land, no women's land, too. The psychological and physical barriers between the Christians and the Muslims in Nigeria, where there is much violence. We see even more clearly our dividing wall of hostility in the United States of blue states and red states, of those dominated by Republicans and those dominated by Democrats. And we see the dividing wall of hostility in its near total reality in the partisanship of our nation's governing body. A seminarian that I supervised as part of his teaching parish assignment at Trinity Lutheran Church in Oakland, where I was just a few months ago, graduated a few years ago and was assigned to the Indiana-Kentucky Synod. He interviewed at a congregation outside of Gary, Indiana, and was persuaded by the congregation, his own feelings, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit to take the call. What he found out after arriving however, and which was not told him by groups on either side before the fact, was that there was a dividing wall of hostility within the congregation, and that there was a relatively evenly divided separation between those who wished to leave the ELCA on account of the 2009 church-wide vote, votes on sexuality issues, and those who wished to stay in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, our denomination. Those who were preferring to leave the denomination were hoping that Justin would be persuaded to join their side, even though he spoke clearly in the interviews that he did not agree with them. He wasn't even aware of a them. And those who were in favor of staying in the denomination probably figured that he would be a good ally not many of them thought, I imagine, of what the division in the congregation would do to Justin, who battled through a year and a half debates and arguments and parking lot discussions 
Do you have parking lot discussions here? Yeah. You do? Before deciding to call it quits. Perhaps he was required to sit on that dividing wall of hostility for so long, enduring in his body the slings and arrows that were lobbed across, that he thereby became too exhausted and discouraged to continue his ministry. So for the time being, he works in a very non-controversial running store. Jesus has destroyed the dividing walls of hostility, but unfortunately, they still exist in some places. Some people in your congregation are currently reading the book, The Righteous Mind, Why People Disagree About Religion and Politics by Jonathan Haidt. Right? I know Martha is. Few of you, the rest of you. How many of you are actually got that on your, you got that? I heard he was speaking, uh, I heard him when he was speaking on KQED radio some weeks ago and ordered the book myself, and even though I'm only maybe 25% of the way through, and you know why I know I'm 25% of the way through, is because that's what it says at the bottom of my reader, right? <laughs> I have learned some things about how people develop opinions. Our natural way, and maybe not the way that we seek to do it in a religious community, is to determine how we feel about various things first, and then to construct a rationale for why we feel that way. Feeling first, thinking second. This process is so strong that it develops what is known as a, the confirmation bias, in which uh, we tend to notice facts and arguments that bolster our already formed opinions. Anyone do that around here? Probably not. You're probably a pretty good. Uh, and we conveni conveniently ignore those which don't support our position. And even though it is not always true, hate cites research that shows that reasoning about our moral opinions is usually carried out for the purposes of persuading others to our side rather than discovering cogent arguments for the other side. And unfortunately, and I imagine there are a lot of you here, smart people are not necessarily more able to see over both sides of the dividing wall of hostility. They are simply, in general, more adept at making arguments for their own positions. Like a good lawyer or a good press secretary. And in fact, one more thing, it turns out that being extremely partisan activates the same parts of the brain that are stimulated by heroin and cocaine. So, enjoying the dividing wall of hostility is addictive, unfortunately. But there is one ray of hope in the part of Hate's book that I have already read, and I'm counting on more of them. And that is, if one feels affection or admiration or desire to please another person with whom we disagree, we are more likely to find some truth in the other person's argument. If we feel affection or admiration or desire to please, we are more likely to be open to changing our mind. When Mary and I were younger, we were committed, and Mary, my wife, is here. She is also a pastor and a clinical counselor. She 
you agreed to come today. When we were younger, we were committed to a more liberal form of Christianity than were her sister and brother-in-law, who were also very committed Christians. We found that we didn't agree on several matters of doctrine and practice, but we loved them, and we desired to be with them. So we developed an unspoken agreement that we would not belabor those topics upon which we differed significantly. This worked out because there was still a whole whole bunch about which we could talk animatedly and with interest, and we could have fun with them because we loved one another in God. But Ephesians doesn't say that Jesus made it possible for people on opposite sides of the dividing wall of hostility should be able to shout to each other on occasion. No, we hear that the whole wall was destroyed. In today's gospel lesson, Jesus and the disciples are trying to get away from the crowds for a little R and R but they're confounded when the people see where they're headed in their boat and they follow them until the boat is moored and Jesus has immediate compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were hurting and had not found a physician. They were ostracized and they longed for inclusion. They were hungry for food and for something more. The crowds were actually one. They were unified by their need for what Jesus could give them in person, teaching, healing, food, deep compassion. So that was one way that Jesus made people whole. They were all one in their need. But the second, more profound kind of uniting, the conveyance of peace, the reconciliation to God, was through Jesus' willingness to die on a cross as an enduring expression of God's unending love for us, as a submission to human hostility. And I thought about it, that the cross that Jesus died on was not a solitary cross, as you remember. And I remember that um, movie Spartacus, right, where the slave rebellion people were all lined up along the road on crosses. The cross that Jesus died on was grouped with at least two others as a kind of wall of crosses. He died as a common criminal. But the wall of crosses that were created with him was the last true wall of hostility. Pastor Matt and others from Grace are coming home this evening. My daughter gets in at 11.30 in SFO. How about the rest of them? Are they? Monday. Oh, they're coming home tomorrow. That's nicer. <laughs> midnight. Oh, Monday at midnight? Well, it's, it's not nicer. Uh, they're coming home from New Orleans. I watched a video clip of one of the speakers from the opening night, the Reverend Nadia Bowles-Weber, who was turning into... Uh, one of the superstars of the Lutheran Church, and she's not related, by the way. And she still bears the large tattoos on her arms of her early wild days, and they were on full display that night, and she is still admittedly a wild person. She 
He promised the sponsors not to swear on stage. She talked how in her early 20s she was able to get clean and sober, and then at a Lutheran church she had chose to attend with her seminarian fiancé, learned that the church is not a place to figure out who is going to heaven and who is not. But understand that the only show in town is God's redeeming love and our wonderment that we receive it without deserving The beautiful thing is that Reverend Nadia Bulls-Rubber didn't go to any necessarily extraordinary Lutheran church. She could have learned the same thing right here. That love of God is able to cast aside our desires to justify ourselves, our wishes to create positions of self or group righteousness, to become a follower of Jesus is to be able to do without militarized landscapes or the good versus the bad or the illusion of our superiority or the endless cycle of revenge. Not that these characteristics don't exist anymore among Christians or that we can't find evidence of them in ourselves, but we believe that the coming and the already here presence of God's loving realm means that these old things are in the process of passing away and that the new thing is here. Not dividing walls, but pathways. Not enmity, but shared dwellings, busy bridges, warm embraces, exploratory discussions of common good, real affection, admiration, and peace. They are all possible under God's care and delivered to us as a sure promise. And I'm going to finish Jonathan Haidt's book to find out where that redemption shows up. Again, and I hope it does. Amen. <laughs>